listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, if you don't know me very well, I'm going to let you in on a couple of things about me. One, I'm a planner. I like a well-thought-out, detailed plan, probably almost to a fault. And so when things don't go according to plan, it's really hard for me. I mean, you can ask Marla, even when we travel, there has to be a plan. And when a bathroom break takes longer than it should, I'm not pleasant to be around. And well, this week has been extremely interesting because next week we are going to begin a brand new series we're going to walk through the entire book of Galatians. And people always ask, well, how long will it take us? Well, it'll take us as long as it takes us. But we're going to simply begin in verse 1 of chapter 1, and we're going to go through every single verse of that book of Galatians. So the encourage would be go and begin reading uh, that book if you haven't already began a, a New Year's kind of reading plan. And I'm really looking forward to that series. I think it's going to be great. Well, since we don't start until next week, that meant I had this week, which typically we would call it kind of a, a one-off, meaning find something to say, meaningful hopefully, and uh, then stand up and deliver that. And typically what I do is I pick a psalm, because it's, it's a lot easier to kind of drop into a psalm, keep it in context. It's, you know, really hard to jump into, you know, Second Chronicles, because there's a little bit of history that's helpful in understanding kind of what is going on. And so I had a sermon on Psalm 121, uh, ready to go, but don't turn there. Because I walked in this morning, Bill said, Mark, what are you preaching? Because uh, January, it is always the hardest month for me. Last week, uh, many of you met Jeff Boss, and Jeff Boss is one of those guys I mean, you can't not like Jeff Boss. He's just one of those guys. I mean, he could be insulting me left and right, and I'd probably smile and say, thank you, Jeff. I mean, he is one of the kindest, meekest, most humble men you'll ever meet. And he is always the most colorful guy in the room. I mean, he'll walk into a meeting, and he wears bright pink and orange and yellow. I mean, last week he had this really bright shirt on me. I like my grays, my blacks, and my browns. And that's, that says a lot about our personalities. And he even said, he said, I'm kind of a half-glass-full guy. Well, not me. I'm the half-empty guy. I'm wondering, well, who took the other half, and what do we need to do to get it back? I mean, that's just how I look at life. Something's wrong, and it, it needs to be fixed. In fact, Jeff said, I love January, and I thought, I hate you. He said, you know, it's like standing on the top of a mountain and there's just this endless list of, of possibilities out there. And I said, well, I look at January. I'm at the bottom of the mountain looking up going, how in the world are we ever going to get there? There are so many things that need to happen, things we have to accomplish. And it's just, it's a, tip, it's a difficult month for me. So Jeff and I are complete opposites. And I know I need to be, I need more Jeff Bice in my life. I need to have a Jeff Bice perspective and about life. I know that about me. But it's usually a difficult time. Every year January rolls around and it's just that time that I begin asking the questions of, okay, what is my purpose? What am I, what am I really 
here for? What am I, what am I supposed to do? We've set goals. We've got a calendar. But what is it that we are supposed to do? And I'll tell you, God has been extremely gracious uh, to me this week. Um, looking back over this, and once again, I had Psalm 121 ready to go, and it was locked and loaded, and uh, I think it would have been good. But once again, sometimes God has plans that are different. In some moments, we need to really listen to that. And so in my own time, I was reading through the book of Philippians. And so I want to invite you there this morning. Right or wrong, this is what I think we should do. In Philippians chapter 1. So I really struggled with this week about what to stand up and, and what to say. And so the sermon was ready. It was ready to go. Psalm 121. And to try to think of just dropping into Philippians and delivering something meaningful without getting it out of meaning... But I feel like the Spirit was leading me this morning just to share with you what God has been saying to me, and really it's nothing new at all. In fact, anybody comes to you and says they have a new word from God and it's not in here, they're a fool and a liar. Um, so we're going to go to God's word and we're going to open it up. And I just want to share with you, be real open and honest about some things, and hopefully this will speak to you also. So for this year, I've got two verses that I, I pray are going to be a guiding light for me, be the compass for myself and hopefully my family in this campus, that I want to filter everything through these two verses. And so uh, these two verses are found in Philippians chapter 1. Let me find my way there. I always learned if you can kind of get to the middle and remember, go eat popcorn. It was Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. See the Colossians, popcorn. So there you are, Philippians chapter 1. But I do think I need to give us a little bit of context. It's very helpful, I think. But So Paul, he is writing this letter to an area of northern Greece called Philippi. On his second missionary journey, he's sitting on the other side of one of the bodies of water there, the Mediterranean, and he's with Silas and Timothy, and he gets the Macedonian call, and the man tells him in a dream, a vision, to come to Macedonia. So Timothy stays behind, and Silas and him venture over to that area. And the Sabbath rolls around. They get up early on the Sabbath morning, and as a, a good person hopefully would do, that they would go looking for a place of worship, looking for the synagogue to worship. Well, they're traveling around, they're walking around the city, and they run into a lady named Lydia. Lydia is a woman, probably great stature. She is kind of the maker of an expensive, a broker of expensive clothing, it says. And they sit down with her, and she's a religious person, it says. The Scripture says that the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel from these men. I imagine they woke, woke up that morning, and that wasn't on their radar at all. Well, they begin moving on to find the synagogue, and they meet somebody that could not be any different from Lydia, a, a well-probably-thought-of woman, probably always well-dressed, uh, always thought well of, probably involved in her community. And they meet a demon-possessed girl that some men were using to make money off her of telling fortunes. Well, this young girl will not leave them alone. And Paul and Silas, they cast out the demon of this little girl. And it doesn't sit well with 
with the people that are using her. So Paul and Silas, they get thrown in jail, but not before they're stripped and beaten. You know, at least my day may go bad, but it's not going to hopefully go that bad. They get thrown in jail, and things go from bad to worse to these men. But here they are. They're sitting in this jail in midnight, and they're singing psalms and hymns. Imagine everybody around them is hearing this. And at midnight, earthquake happens. The jail doors are flung open. Paul and Silas probably get up. The chains have fallen off. And imagine they go to leave. And the Philippian jailer is there. He wakes up. Sleep on the job. And he knows that what's about to happen to him, the humiliation, the shame that he'll go through. So he's going to take his own life. And out of the shadow steps Paul. And he says, don't do it. That man, that jailer, looks at Paul and he says, what must I do to be saved? I imagine he's thinking, from this situation, Paul begins sharing the gospel with him. The scriptures tell us that it goes on that him and his entire household were saved. And so that's the start of the Philippian church. You have a well-to-do, well-thought-of person in the community that sells fine clothing a demon-possessed girl, and a suicidal jailer. And that's the start to this church. But Paul loves this group of misfit toys. In fact, you fast forward 12 years, and Paul is sitting in jail now, this time in Rome. He has an idea he wants to go to Spain to take the gospel to where it's never been. And he's sitting on trial for his life. In those intervening years, those 12 years, this church in Philippi continued to support Paul financially and with prayer more than any other church. They loved Paul, and he was their apostle. They held him in extremely high regard. When they found out he was on trial for his life, they did not disassociate with him at all. In fact, they said, no, he is our guy. That's the message that you need to hear. Instead of saving their own necks, they they bound themselves to Paul. Instead of aligning themselves with others or whatever they might do, they sent a man with a gift. And so Paul is now writing this letter to this church that he loves so dearly. For the first 18 verses, Paul shares some things. He's going to share his love and his appreciation for them. He's going to acknowledge how God has been using them to spread the gospel all over the world. He assures them that God will bring to completion the work that he had begun. Paul tells them that everything that happened to him, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the stoning, the imprisonments, We're all for the good of the gospel. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, and I'm okay with that. So that what has become unknown throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most Of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold. They're bolder in speaking the word without fear. 
And so that's, that's the stage that, that we're dropping in on about what has been happening. So in verse 19, this is how it reads. He's sitting in prison. He's writing this letter. All these things have happened to him. But he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul has this like newfound hope that he's going to be delivered from prison. Paul knows that God has used the prayers of these believers in Philippi. And Paul has a brand newfound belief in his release. So now we have this picture. And uh, what we really need to see is to really get the picture of the heart and the soul of this man, Paul. Because he is unique. Verse 20. He says this, that as it is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is at this place where Jesus Christ is the most valuable thing to him in the entire world, in his entire life. Christ is more valuable than fame and comfort and freedom and in family and even more than his life. I mean, this seems so foreign and so radical, doesn't it? That a man would say, above all else, there is this man that I've never met means more to me than anything else. Listen, we get all worked up, at least I know I do, if anyone begins to infringe on my so-called freedoms. I mean, you really want to get me upset? Tell me I'm not allowed to do something. I mean, we get so worked up over things, including me, that somebody, the notion that someone might come and try to take our freedoms. You know, we especially don't want them talking about our guns. I mean, those prized freedoms that we have. Paul is saying, I would give every freedom I have up if it meant that one person would come to know Christ and Him fully. Paul says, I would give it all up. And I know that is so radical. But that's just what it looks like when Christ is at the heart and soul of your life. Or maybe better yet, no, when Christ is the heart and soul of your life. And that's what we're getting to see. And so now Paul is about to throw down his life declaration. He says, you want to know who Paul is? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I know this is a verse, you can find it on coffee cups, you can find it on keychains, you can find it on t-shirts, maybe even a bumper sticker. But I hope that we do not lose the power that is behind these words. And here's why they're so powerful. Because death, death is a threat to what we love the most. Death is the thing that frustrates our greatest goals. Death is fearful to the degree that it threatens to rob us of what we value the most. But Paul, 
Paul values Christ above everything and everyone. In fact, he looked at death and he doesn't see it as a frustration. He saw it as the occasion for the fulfillment of the highest value in his life that Christ would be magnified. He knew why he was here, and his greatest thing was Jesus Christ. And he says, death is the only thing that gets me there. And he valued him above all else, meaning death can separate you from everything that you love and you value, except Christ. Christ is the only thing that death cannot separate from you. Death brings you all the way home. So let me show you how this is so important to us today. Think about the things in your life. and I've thought about the things in my life that bring you the most joy. I know I have some. I mean, think about the things that bring you to life. My wife will never forgive some men like Drew Boring, Charlie Crum, <laughs> and uh, I mean, there is a list of things in Courtney Mason that introduced me into duck hunting. Guys, she'll never forgive you for that. Because that's all I can think about. I mean, I eat, sleep, and breathe it now. But the things that are most valuable to us, think about the things that we value, our looks, our financial status, the success of our children, fishing, shopping, being respected and valued by others. None of these are necessarily bad things. In fact, some of them are good things. But notice what happens when we replace the person of Christ with anything else. So, in the Greek it reads a little bit different. It doesn't change anything, but it would read this. Paul would be saying, for me to live Christ and to die gain. So just notice, let's put some things in here. For me to live, what brings me to life is having money in the bank. Then death, or the worst thing, is when you lose your money. For me to live is to be noticed and important. Then to die would go unnoticed. For me, life is my children being successful. The death would mean them failing. For me to live is to have power. And death is me having to submit to someone else. For me to live is to not have my wife question me. Then death is when she has to know where I am all the time. For me, life is being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Death, then is living by someone else's timetable and needs. For me to live is being the smartest person in the room. And to die would be to look stupid and to not know the answer. These are not necessarily bad things. I think we need to strive for financial stability. We need to help our children be successful according to God's standards. We need to be able to enjoy activities that God has laid out before us. Taking naps, hunting, fishing, whatever it might be. But when we see these things as the things that bring us life, 
and brings us to life, then we've done nothing more than create idols. And death can separate you from everything you value and love except Christ. Christ is the only thing that death cannot separate from you. In fact, death brings you all the way to Him. So now Paul is going to show us that a life, what it looks like to truly say, for me to live Christ and to die gain. In verse 22 he says, If I am to live in the flesh, if I am to remain here, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Jesus, the most important one in my life. And I know that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The most important thing to Paul is what is most important to Christ. And Paul wants What Christ wants. Paul knows that death brings him the greatest thing in his life, Jesus. But Paul chooses to submit himself to what Christ wants for him. And Paul is saying, Lord, I have many desires and wants and needs, but I am giving every single one of them over to you. Paul is willing to give up his greatest joy for the joy of others. So now I want to share the last two verses and what God is really being saying to me. And these next two verses are what have truly changed my perspective about January. So maybe I'll start wearing some brighter clothes. And what I really want to use is my guiding as I lead myself and my family and even this church. She says in verse 25, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you at all. So Paul knew that God wasn't through with him. That Christ began leading Paul on a mission and he was going to continue to guide him. And there it was. The words that I'd been searching for and I didn't even know it. It was what I knew God was leading me So. I, Hopefully follow Christ in and, and my role as a husband and a dad as a pastor. And there it is in the last part of 25. For your progress and joy in the faith. Meaning I'm, I'm not meant to be in this life and in my marriage and my role as a parent and this pastorate for myself and maybe that's why January has been such a horrible month for so many years but just like Paul I'm to be in this life in a husband and a dad and as a pastor for the progress and the joy in the faith of others and this is what it means to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain That is what it means to have a mindset of Christ. That was exactly what I needed. 
So I'm beginning slowly to see my life as a believer and a husband and dad and as a pastor differently. Because I, w- I want to be here and I want God to use me for the progress and the joy and the faith of others. I want to see others progressing in their knowledge and their love of Jesus Christ. I want to see others experiencing more joy as they walk with Him. So I do, I need to take off some darker clothing and put something on that says, you know what, I'm happy. I have joy in Christ. But I know my sinful heart. I know I could easily have this deep down desire, but really within me what I'm really wanting is to see people progress in the faith and the joy of Christ and to have more joy so that I get praised. I mean, really. I mean, that's really what I would want. So I kept reading. So, all of that, so that, that they would progress in their knowledge and their joy in the faith of Christ, so that in me, they or you may have ample cause, or so that you may have confidence to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Meaning Paul says, I want to see others progress in their faith, in their joy. I want to see that happen so that, not that I get noticed, but that they have more confidence and more evidence to then glorify Christ. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So now hopefully that I would look at my calendar differently. I would look and see Discover Bethel and think, I used to think, man, that's a great opportunity. It's a great way to get people to come and hear more about us. And so hopefully they would become members. But now I want us to see Discover Bethel as an opportunity to help others progress and to have more joy in their faith. That is our goal. I used to host Milestone Ministry, Times for Our Parents. And we've got several of them planned over this next year. Hopefully to help parents in good ways. But now I want us to host these in a way to help parents and their children progress and have a greater joy in their faith. We gather our team leaders several times a year, great opportunities to encourage our leaders. But now, man, these needs to be times to where you're helping them progress and to have greater joy in their faith. So I want you to think about Paul and Silas. They were simply following God's leading. God had called them. They didn't know what he had in store. God said, come to Macedonia. And they said, okay. They get up on an early Sabbath morning to go find a synagogue to worship in. But God had other plans. God was going to present them with great opportunities to be used by him to help others progress in their faith and have a greater joy. I mean, think of Lydia. She was a wealthy woman, probably a very prominent person in her city, probably sat on all kinds of boards. She was a deeply religious person. But she lacked a relationship that would bring her true joy that money and power could never provide. Now, demon-possessed teenager had been exploited for financial gain by others. She was used by others For their own benefit. But God uses Paul to set her free from all of that. For the first time in her life, 
she begins to progress toward Jesus and to find true joy and to not be used by other people. That Philippian jailer, he's just going about his career. He's just trying to provide for his family. But in the middle of the night, his life is changed by two men that have previously been put in jail. And then him and his entire household begin progressing toward Christ and finding true joy. And I just can't help to believe that we are here for the exact same purpose as Paul and Silas. Meaning, you know what? You're in the family you're in. And you're in the marriage you're in. You're in the life group you're in. You are serving in the area you're in. You're in the neighborhood that you are in. You're in the job or the career you're in for the progress and the joy and the faith of others. And listen, I don't know what exactly that looks like. But I know we have to at least ask the question and say, okay, if that's the case, then Lord, I can't do this on my own. Because, man, I want you to know, most of the time, people, I think we feel like utter failures, and we think, what in the world could I possibly give to someone to help them progress in the faith and the joy when I can't even find that? How can I help others progress in their faith as parents or whatever when I feel like such a failure? I can't help them progress at something or have more joy when I'm finding utter misery in this thing. So I think it's helpful to remember that the Sabbath was made for us, not us to fulfill all of the obligations of the Sabbath. And here's how. Look at the very last phrase of Mark Chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He's in charge. He has this under control. And He wants to use us in the lives of others. And you may have no idea how that's supposed to happen. And in many ways, God will use you and you won't even realize it. So my focus for 2017 is the progress and joy of others' faith. That includes my wife and my children. And I'll admit, there are so many times I utterly fail at that. It's for the progress and the joy of others' faith and those that I lead at this campus. And there are times I will forget and I will mess up and I will do things that they think I can't ever trust Him anymore. I'm here for the progress and the joy and the faith of others and my children or, or those in my neighborhood, those I work with, even those that are above me. I'm here for the progress and the joy of their faith and I will fail. But we have to remember that He is Lord of the Sabbath and every day and every minute and every second of your life. And there will always be enough grace and forgiveness to say, I blew it. But now, I'm here for the progress and the joy and the faith of others. And maybe God even uses your mistakes to lead others. And so the challenge this morning is this. Next week, we're going to pick up in Galatians. Go and... Immerse yourself in that book this week. 
But for me, the focus of 2017 is the progress and the joy of others' faith. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for being so gracious to us. The times to be around other believers for encouragement and support, for the opportunity to even just pray with those in need. Being able to sing truth and to read truth over and for each other. And so, Father, we this morning want to acknowledge that we are always in need of more of you. And Lord, you used Paul, you used Silas in powerful ways. And it's that mindset that happens when we totally surrender everything that we have, all of our desires, all of our needs, all of our wants, all the things that bring us life, and we lay them before you. And we ask you to replace all of that with for me to live as you, for me to live as Christ, and then to die as gain. That nothing else would bring us more life and more purpose and more joy than you. But Father, I'm thankful For in those moments that we fail at that, that you are there with your loving kindness. Because no one's got this down. No one has this figured out. First of all, of most me. But Father, thank you for second and third and fourth chances to live for you. So Father, be with us as we leave. May you grant us the mercy and the grace that we need for all of those in our lives that you would use us in the progress and the joy and the faith of others. It's in your son's name and by the power of your spirit we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.